Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for being here with us for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. I am here today with best-selling author Asha Frost. Asha Frost is an incredible human being who I was lucky enough to be introduced to through a mutual friend of ours and introduced her her best-selling book, You Are the Medicine. Prior to launching that book, Asha had written a letter that was really inspiring, and it basically said, Dear white woman who wants to be like me, that went viral. And out of that, she became a catalyst for change and empowerment for women and people around the world and has her own practice up in Canada. Asha, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So talk to us about this incredible evolution. I just had the privilege of reading your book, You Are the Medicine. And of all the books, I'm so grateful. I love to read, Asha. Like I read, if I can, I'm in the middle of five, 10, 20 books at any given moment. And your book was very compelling. How did you go from the letter that you wrote, Dear White Woman Who Wants to Be Like Me, to this magnificent book about connecting to our ancestors and our own medicine, as well as the medicine of different people, in particular, your people. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think a book was always inside of me. But after that letter went viral, I had an opportunity to open up. Hay House was having a diverse wisdom program, and it was a contest. And someone said, do you think you want to enter? You might want to enter this. Do you want to write a book? And I thought, yes, there's a book inside of me. Yes, sure. So I wrote wrote this proposal and then I got a spot and then I had to really <laughs> enter the contest and write the thing. And it honestly just started to unfold from spirit. It just felt my ancestors were behind me saying this needs to be shared. And then the moons came forward and said, this is how you can share it. Because for so many years, I'd done moon ceremonies in my own community for about 15 years. So I knew them well. And it was a medicine that always flowed through me. So I thought, well, let's put these words to paper, the energetic of what I've been sharing with folks onto actual paper into a book form. And that's how it got birthed. Mm, incredible. And let's give our audience context in case they haven't read You Are the Medicine. The way the book is broken apart is really in such a compelling format, the story of it, where I'm going to try and see if I can pronounce this right. The Ojibwe moons that are celebrated in each one, I believe there are 13 moons. And the way you tell each story, I love it. I geeked out on how you would start off with the animal, like how turtle came into being and the stories around turtle or how bear came into being. And then the moons that related to each one of these creatures. How did you put all that together? When I was little, my mom used to read me legends. That's how we were an oral tradition. Storytelling was so important. And there were stories like how the skunk got its smell or how the rainbow got its colors and every being was alive. Like it was just, there was so much animate energy or spirit energy through all of creation. And I wanted that childlike essence to be in that, to remind us of, um, our children awe, just that beautiful awe that we see when we do believe that things are alive, I think, when we're children. So every chapter, I wanted to start with a story that I just asked for it to come through. Like, how does this want to be told? And how should I share this? And But an animal wants to come through for each moon because I felt like there was a message or messenger that wanted to come through for each month. So that's really how I opened up my connection to spirit and the ancestors. And they assisted me in writing it. 
That is incredible. Going back to these stories, because I found them riveting. I would honestly, I'd be reading part of the book. I'd be like, honey, and grab my husband. Stop what you're doing. I need to read you this beautiful story of the porcupine, the bear, the turtle, the crane, whatever it is, all these beautiful animals. Did you come up with these stories yourself? Or were these stories that were passed upon down from generation to generation, and then you made them your own? Yeah. So no, they were a Turtle Island one was passed down because that is a creation story that we know here in Canada. And then the Dreamcatcher legend was passed down. So those are the only two out of the whole book that were passed down to me. And mostly because of what I write in the book, the disconnection and the trauma of being broken apart from my traditions because of residential schools and my grandparents being in residential schools. A lot of it, I think I speak about in the book, like I've had to dream a lot or vision or journey or reconnect to what's in my bones and listen in silence to the teachings that are coming through versus elders passing it directly down to me. That is remarkable. Your storytelling ability is just so, to because I didn't know if these were stories that came from your family or if it really was the visioning aspect. And I do want to digress for a moment because we have listeners and people around the world who tune in and listen and watch the show. In case somebody is not familiar with what a residential school is, would you mind just sharing briefly about that? So in Canada and in the United States as well, there are were schools where the government says we want to take the Indian out of the child, an Indian mm-hmm. being, I guess you'd say, Native American or First Nations person. So they would take the children from their families at a very young age and bring them to a school. And the school was off the land that they were used to and connected to. And they would put them in a school and then try to colonize them. So take out, take them away from their language, their medicines, their ways of being and knowing foods, all of those things. And they were quite abusive. So there was a lot of abuse and sexual abuse and physical abuse, starvation, horrible things in there. And many children died. So it was only this past two years or so that I've always known these stories. It's in my lineage. Yet a lot of Canadians didn't know that was our history. So when the children were found and they started to uncover them and the bodies, then they were, everybody was shocked. So it was like they all rose to the surface. The truth of Canada has been exposed and revealed. And now people are starting to think, oh, I didn't really learn this history in school. Why was this history completely changed or just covered over? And we're still uncovering those bodies, those children. Know that this will never even scratch the surface. Asha, that I apologize on behalf of all the people who have caused you and your ancestors and your family pain, really from the bottom of my heart. I'm so sorry that you and your family and ancestors and so many others have gone through that. It just breaks my heart. I remember years ago, there was a woman named Alison Armstrong who I studied with, and she taught us this powerful technique. And you have so many in the book. It just made me think of it though right now, where it was called noble healing, where you apologize on behalf of the person who's never going to give the person or you the apology Whereas my dear friend Mark Golston said in another recent interview, he said is accepting the apology sometimes that you'll never receive because we just don't know. And that's why I wanted you to explain the residential school thing, because so many of us might be unconscious to it, completely unaware. And I think that the only way that we can make different choices for the upcoming generations was to bring our own conscious awareness to it. So history doesn't repeat itself, as we've all seen happen so many times, unfortunately. Yeah, I think the truth is so interesting because I think it's really easy to turn away from the truth. And as we see in Canada, that has been happening for our entire lifetime. So 
it's interesting to me because when everybody was shocked and I've been like talking on social media about these issues for the past five to eight years and all of a sudden people are like, oh, this is happening. It's There is still that invisibility piece. Like where has my voice not landed on? Where has my storytelling not been heard? And now it's sensationalized and now you're going to listen, which sometimes it takes that. And also it's hard on Indigenous people because we're like, we've been saying this for so many years and nobody's been hearing us. So I'm glad there's more awareness. Yeah. And I think that you tell the story. It was an interesting read being a white woman myself, because as I'm reading the book, there were times where I just felt excruciating pain. And yet I loved the way that you told the story in a way that created awareness. And with each different moon, and as you were talking about the different residential schools or the animals or the ancestors, I think that it really elicited not only compassion, but also awareness rather than I'm sure it might have happened in the past where people felt like resentful or I don't know what you're talking about or ignorant, whether or not we even realized it. And I think that you really, the way you told the story was just very compassion open and just, hey, here's what's, yes, it caused pain. And here are some of the ways that you as an individual reading this book can apply this medicine and this wisdom to yourself and just not gloss over to pretend it didn't exist. Yeah, that was my intention for sure in writing it. I think compassion is the way in. I think that's every time I speak about difficult issues, I ask folks to kind of, can you lean back and first just start with compassion for yourself? Because I think when we're defensive, it's that heart closing up and we protect ourselves and then we push with that defensiveness. But if we're compassionate, I think we can open and really truly listen. Yeah, I think it's so important to become aware of our biases. For a lot of us, we think, oh, I have no biases. But as we all discovered over the last several years and far beyond that, we all have these subconscious biases. And it's not intentional or out of malice, I think, in many cases. It's just out of lack of understanding. And I remember there was a woman I used to often speak with at conferences who was a transgender, and she would share these beautiful stories. She would stand up, and her rooms would always be standing ovations because she would have us all stand in different groups. And how do you identify in this? And would help us to bridge the gap in the same way that your book did of understanding, yes, you might be Indigenous, I might be white, or you might be male, I might be female, whatever those things are. And yet our worlds do still have this beautiful weaving of a web and a tapestry of how our lives all impact one another. And an impact or a choice I make could easily have an impact on you and vice versa. So how can we make choices that have the most beautiful, loving impact on one another in the world and be thoughtful that our actions do have an impact on one another? Yeah, I love that way of seeing things. It it tends to be the lens I see through in the world. Yeah. So I would love to dive into a couple of the animals. I've been thinking about this ever since I was reading the book. I remember bear really resonated with me. Do you want to share a little bit about the bear story? Because I could try and retell it, but it's I think you tell it so much more beautifully in the story. Bear medicine, which we're in right now in the Northern Hemisphere, we're in that north direction of the medicine wheel in the winter. So bear medicine really is about hibernation, inviting rest as medicine and just listening to the ways that we've all been colonized away from that truth, being pushed into hustle and pushing and striving through capitalism or colonialism or whatever system is at play. And Bear welcomes us back into our bones that says, rest is where you build capacity. Rest is where you heal. We know that rest when we sleep at night, that's how we're healing our body. Um, Can you make space for that? Because in that rest time is when the great mystery touches you and lands for you and there's magic and miracles there. So in the book, Bear was 
helping out everyone, didn't have a lot of boundaries. It was just all, everybody came to Bear to ask for all of the help. Can you do this? Can you take care of my children? Can you do this? And Bear said yes, until Bear got very sick and couldn't even move anymore and then knew that something needed to change. So they went into a deep rest, which is the hibernation and regained that capacity. And then that messaging of, which happens sometimes in life, right? We push ourselves beyond our physical capacity um, and then we burn out, our, our bodies tell us stop, and then we have to make a change. So that was the lesson. And then Bear had to learn how to use boundaries and to say no to the things that maybe they didn't have energy for. And I think that's a really important lesson for all of us. Yeah, I think it's so powerful. And that's why I was like, Bear, <laughs> definitely Bear, because it's true. It's like you try to be, depending on where you're brought up and culturally, for me at least, I was like, okay, I want to help this person and help that person. And yet to your point in the story, Bear, by trying to help everybody and be the woodland caretaker, winds up being burned out and then is of no service to anyone, let alone themselves. And I think it's such a beautiful metaphor for life. Thank you. And tell the story about turtle and the meaning of the symbols on the turtle. I think it's, what is it, 28 days between the moon cycle, which are all on the inside of the shell and 13. Is that true of every turtle? When I read that, I was like, what? Yeah, I'm just looking at my little turtle shell up there. Yeah, so like a painted turtle has like a turtle shell like that looks like that. So some turtles won't have that same sort of marking in that way, but a painted turtle does and they have 13 in the middle, so 13 moons. And then on the edge, that's how we'd count from one month to the next, knowing that's the next full moons. And from one full moon to the next, we would use maybe a corn kernel or a seed. And that's how we would know our planting cycles or our hunting cycles or ways of being and knowing and living with the earth. So it's a direct reflection of the moon. And I always think of the magic of that. This turtle's on the earth, like its shell, like reflecting to the moonlight and the spirit of the moon penetrating on that shell. And that connection of creation, something in the sky, something on the land, and how we're all so connected in that way. So the turtle shell to me is one of the most magical aspects of creation because I think how is there something that's way down here on the land reflecting this beautiful being in the sky? Yeah, we're so connected. Yeah, and it's so incredible. And you talk about all of these different types of moons in the book you talk about. I think it was sugar moon. Is sugar moon the one with the maple syrup, I think? Yes. Yeah, so there was a sugar moon. I think that's the one that happens in March, right? Yes. So it's coming up. Yeah. And it's so compelling too, how you tell the story of sometimes how the tree, for example, like the maple tree felt all alone and like it wasn't able to share its gifts. And then eventually one day it births this sweet nectar that can be healing and that can offer sustenance and nourishment. And I think it's it's true of all of us as human beings is sometimes, especially now more than ever, we might feel afraid or we might feel alone and yet we have something beautiful and sweet inside of us to share and yet we just might not have grown into it yet or we might not be able to reflect it in all its maturity it would be one way of putting it. Yeah, that's so true. I think in that story in particular, they carried a lot of shame around not knowing what their gifts are. And I see that a lot in the groups that I speak to or the population that I teach to. People are always asking, well, what is my gift? What is my medicine? I don't really know what that is. And the truth of it is, it's so nat it's so naturally a part of you. Sometimes it's, it's it just seems, I just do that naturally. So how can that be something special? But that's why we're all born with that unique presence and power. And for the maple tree, it was like, oh my goodness, there's a beautiful sap that flows through my veins. And this is what I can offer to the world. Maple syrup is one of our 
deepest medicines as Indigenous people. It was such a nourishing medicine for us, and it continues to be. So if we can just remember that it's there, and sometimes we just have to sink into it versus, or remember it versus striving outside of ourselves to try to find it. Yeah, and what I really enjoyed about the way the book was set up, Asha, was how you had these meditations behind at the end of every chapter. And it's really powerful. What I would do when I would get to the end of each chapter is I would record myself reading your chapter out loud. And then I would go back and I would replay it. The other day, I think I was doing the one about the crane medicine and going into the forest and seeing what animal you connected with. And I love how you mentioned in the book for you, it was deer. And for me too, that's what I wound up seeing when I did that meditation. And I think it's a beautiful reminder when we ask ourselves, dear, why are you showing yourself to me? And there's this soft kindness that sometimes I feel like as women who are entrepreneurs like you and I are, where we're going out there and we're wanting to help people, sometimes we get too much in our masculine and we forget that soft, gentle, dear energy that is needed in order to be able to hold space for all the people we serve. I love that. Yeah, I don't know if I can connect to the masculine energy that much. That's something that's, that doesn't, I don't resonate with as much, but I do feel like for me, it's that internal, I think, harshness or the colonial energy that's impacted me that lives within me that dear softens a lot. Mm. <laughs> I will always remember a funny side story. Two of my best girlfriends and one of their husbands, we were all on a road trip up in Northern California for wine country two Christmases ago. And I literally just said, I was like, oh, you know what, guys? I would love to see deer. Not just deer. I would love to see deer with a couple of baby deer. And my friends look at me who have been coming every Christmas to this winery. And they said, Jen, we're so sorry to tell you, we've been coming here 10 years. There are no deer. You're not going to see deer. And literally around the next bend, Asha, there is not one deer. There's not two deer. There is a family of five deer, including two babies. And they were just sitting there waiting for me. And they were like, hi, it's so good to see you. And my friends were, they literally were aghast. They're like, how, where did these deer just come from? Though, as you mentioned so often in the book, is we really have these incredible connections with spirit animals, or if they keep showing up, I had jellyfish show up in my life three times within a month. And I had never once, Asha, in my life, seen a live jellyfish outside of a fish tank. And I saw three in water and got stung by one the third time. And, but it was so beautiful because I immediately reflected internally and said, clearly I'm being meant to learn a lesson because why would I be shown three jellyfish and have a personal interaction with one if there wasn't some sort of medicine or message. I love that so much. And I think that we just need to open our eyes again in that awe and that wonder. Like, how is that animal going to reach me? And how can I open up? And sometimes we're thinking it's like your deer story. They're going to come right in front of me. But sometimes it's like dream time. Our child, maybe your children really love a certain animal and there's all these stuffies around. All of a sudden you keep seeing foxes everywhere. So I think we just have to be open to the magic of life touching us. And when you do that, then the animal realm can speak to you. Yeah, dreams are so powerful. I think you were talking in the book about orcas, and I too have often had dreams of orcas or dolphins. And it is powerful of, and I think you shared too about your mom and how your mom was afraid of snakes. And yet in the dreams, the snakes would offer medicine. So I think that there's this beautiful duality as there is with all things where we might have a fear of something, though the thing we fear the most could also be our greatest teacher. Yes, indeed. I love that. So Asha, is there anything else from the book that I didn't get to ask you about that you would love to share? Maybe it's one of your favorite parts of the book or a piece of wisdom we didn't get to talk about today. Well, I think you covered it all really beautifully. <laughs> but when folks ask me, what's what's your favorite chapter? What's your favorite animal? I think that 
after it's been almost a year since it's been out there. And I hope that people can just feel really reconnected. Everybody's like, what's your big vision for your book? And I just saw the word, kept seeing the word reconnection, reconnection. I think after the last two and a half years, we've been so disconnected. And it doesn't sound sexy or exciting that reconnection is the way or my intention, but I really believe that is the medicine that I intend for it. And I hope that it puts back together some of those broken pieces. I think you're absolutely right that we have gone through a disconnection, not only from one another, but I think from ourselves. I think there was so much fear and anxiety and uncertainty for everyone over the last three years that we stopped being able to trust ourselves. I don't know about any of you out there or you, Asha, Though for me, in my morning prayer, I often talk out loud to God and I'll say, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, what is my assignment for today? And I'll hear things like forgive or let go or love yourself. And 99% of the time, the last thing I'll say before I finish my morning prayers is I'll say, God, is there anything else you want me to know? And God or the universe will say, trust, trust. Because I think trust is what's going to lead us back to that essence of reconnection to the self and to one another. And I love that wisdom. And I'm so glad we did this. It's just beautiful how sometimes we go through opportunities in life and things happen and we just never know what direction paths are going to lead us. And I think that the lesson that I took from the book is there was pain that people went through, that you went through, your ancestors, and that people are still going through because of this. And yet the only thing we have is we can just choose, choose to open our hearts, choose to open our awareness, ask for the guidance of our ancestors. As I posted the other day on social a little screenshot for people who don't know this on Kindle. One of my favorite things to do when I'm reading a book and I love a quote in a book is there's actually just a little arrow button above a box and it automatically turns it into a meme for you. And one of the highlights for me, Asha, as you saw, was the fact that I love you said, okay, over the last 400 years, if you look at your grandparents and their grandparents on the paternal and maternal side, you have 4,000 plus ancestors waiting to support you with their wisdom and guidance. Yes. Oh, I love that. I didn't know that was how you did that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good That's thing. why I wanted to share. You could do it with your own book. It's so cool because whenever I go through books, I'm always, I might write something down. Though if I really like something, I'm like, oh, I bet other people would like this. So you just use that little up button with the square and it'll give you an option and then you can meme it. And then it automatically will say, hey, this was Asha Frost's book. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Of course. Thank you so much to everybody who joined us today and tuned in wherever and whenever you're tuning in from. Asha, if people want to connect with you, of course, we'll include all of your links and links to the book in the show notes. Anything else you want us to know about where people should connect with you? Instagram is always the place I hang out the most. And I want to share that my Oracle deck is coming out in a month's time. So the Sacred Medicine Oracle will be out in a month. And I'm so excited to have my own card deck and have the medicine in people's hands. Oh, I love it. I definitely look forward to checking that out and encourage all of our listeners and viewers to do the same. And on that note too, we want to thank our sponsors, the people over at Ohm Heals, ohm-heals.com with hundreds of plus healers around the world. And you can answer a matching question and see if you match with any of them. Of course, you can go to Asha's website and book time with her. It seems like she does really incredible sessions from the feedback that I was reading about in the book. So thank you for being with us, everyone today, and just wishing you the strength and certainty to stay on your path, allow the moon to illuminate for you all of the bits of light that sometimes you forget that exist within yourself and to connect to the strength of your spirit animal, whoever, whatever that may be, read Asha's book and discover it for yourself. Thank you.
Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.